0: Well, good morning, church family. It's my privilege to read from the God's Word today. Um, so if you've got your swords, please. Mark chapter 6. That's Mark chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, Is a prophet without honour. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag. No money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had bound him and put him in prison. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "'Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest.'" So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was quite late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he, said, then he gave them to his disciples and set before his people. He also divided two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bathsheba while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were
1: healed." Thank you, Jason. Well, good morning. It's great to uh, be with you this morning and to uh, to open and, and to think upon this part of God's word. Will you pray with me again as we uh, uh, come to God's word? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this time now. And we ask that you would give us insight and understanding that we would see afresh who the Lord Jesus is and that we would respond to him as you call us to. We ask in his name. Amen. I'm a loving working our way through Mark's Gospel over these uh, recent weeks. It's great for for just seeing afresh who Jesus is, uh, for being reminded and refreshed and getting recalibrated, if you like, uh, in how we understand and respond to Jesus. Nothing in life is more important than that. And yet that's a view that uh, is not uh, held by everyone. I think if you surveyed a large group of people and asked them who they think Jesus is, what they make of Jesus... Who is he? Who was he? You get a range of of views. I think some would say, oh, look, he's he's an interesting but largely irrelevant person from history. Maybe others would say, oh, he's an influential teacher or prophet. Maybe a a childhood storybook character. That's kind of people's view of Jesus. Maybe to some he's, uh, you know, someone that religious fanatics get excited about. Or maybe... Someone I try not to think about too much. And in fact, if you mention his name, I'll probably try to shut you down or change the conversation. Uh, Many people reject and brush aside, downplay Jesus. What about us? Uh, What do we make of Jesus? I expect there's a a range of views here. I mean, many, if not most of us, would have a high view of Jesus. I mean, as church going people, I suspect there's a good chance that we're pretty. You know, Jesus is pretty important to us. But who is he to you? Who is he to you? Is he, is he your saviour? Is he your friend? Your travel companion on the journey of life? Is he your, well, kind of your eternal insurance policy? Maybe your emergency contact person. You know, someone you go to in the case of an emergency Who is Jesus? What what do we make of him? How how should we respond to him? Throughout this uh, this chapter of Mark 6, it's a a large chapter, and thank you, Jason, for reading it uh, so well for us. We we do see uh, people encountering Jesus, trying to work out, well, what what to make of this this man? And there's a variety of responses we see throughout this chapter. Uh, In 6 verse 1, Jesus goes to his hometown and he teaches there in, in the synagogue. He does some miracles and, and the people are amazed. They, they hear the teaching, the wisdom. They, they see the miracles. They're, they're amazed. But then they, well, they try to cut him down to size, don't they? Verse 3, look there with me. They say, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? He's just Joe and Mary's boy, right? And they take offense at him. They, they don't believe. Uh, their their response. You notice verse end of verse or the beginning of verse six was a lack of faith. Then we see people throughout the the region. Verse six continues. Then Jesus went around teaching from, from village to village. And, and then he sent out the 12 apostles. The, the word apostle just means sent one. He, he sent them out to continue his ministry. And, and they preached that, that people should repent, uh, verse 12. And Jesus gave them authority to drive out demons, to heal people. Uh, and some people don't welcome them or listen to them. Some reject this message. They reject Jesus. They reject his messengers. And then we see the The ruler. King Herod. Verse 14, uh, it says, uh, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. It lists uh, various opinions about who Jesus is. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, He's Elijah. Still others claimed, He's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the, John whom I beheaded, Has been raised from the dead. Kind of sounds a bit like a guilty conscience. Uh, Herod is perhaps plagued by his guilt over killing this innocent man, and he concludes Jesus is John the Baptist, raised back to life as some sort of undead sorcerer, which explains why he can perform miracles. That's what Herod thinks, the ruler. But then there's the crowds. Jesus' name is well known, he's popular. Uh, everywhere verse 14 speaks of that he's popular verse 33 and verse uh, 55 the crowds they, they flock to see him maybe they're interested in his teaching but more likely they they want a miracle or two and boy do they get a miracle the feeding of the 5,000 with just a few loaves and and fish it's amazing then there's the disciples they get it sort of I mean, they're following him. They're sent out by him as his representatives. They're helping Jesus as his distribution and logistics agents with the feeding the 5,000 people. So they get it, but then they don't. I mean, when he walks on the water, it says they're terrified, verse 50. When he calms the wind in verse 51, they're completely amazed. They don't really get it. In fact, Look there, verse 51 it says, "Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They're following Jesus, but they don't yet fully understand. So there's, we see throughout this chapter this variety of responses as people are trying to work out what to make of Jesus, but and even the disciples don't yet fully understand." What does that mean there in verse 50? It says they were completely amazed for because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What is it about the loaves which if they had understood well that would have changed their being completely amazed. I mean, Jesus has just walked on the water. I mean, that isn't that isn't that completely amazing? But Mark doesn't say they were completely amazed because Jesus had walked on the water. He says they were completely amazed because they hadn't understood about the loaves. If they had understood about the loaves, would they have seen Jesus walking on the water and went, oh, hey, Jesus, yeah, we were expecting you. I mean, after all, the the loaves, right? What does this mean? It, It kind of doesn't make sense. When you find something in the Bible that doesn't make sense, that is a great moment. I love it when I don't understand the Bible. Why is that? Well, because it's an opportunity. It's a lost opportunity if you just discard and go, oh, I don't understand. But it's an opportunity if you take it as an opportunity to grow, to, to come to understand and to, to change what you think, to bring it into line with what the Bible says. It's kind of like um, square pegs and round holes. If something the Bible says is a, is a square peg, but your understanding is a round hole, what do you do? I mean, you could just throw away the square peg and ignore it, the square peg of the Bible, and just stick with your, the round hole of your understanding. Or you could take that, this situation as, as, a, as a wake-up call, an opportunity to actually to grow, to change, to expand your understanding so that it will accommodate the square peg. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when we don't understand something in the Bible because that's an opportunity. An opportunity to bring our thinking into line with God's thinking. So, what do we need to understand about the loaves? Well, before we get to that, there's, there's another thing that puzzles me in this passage, and that is, why does Mark include this, this lengthy recount of the gruesome death of John the Baptist? I mean the immediate context is answering the question who is Jesus and different people responding to him and some say Elijah, others say he's a prophet, others say he's John the Baptist being raised from the dead. And, and so it's just exposing these various opinions and, and a connection to John the Baptist is one of them. But then why go back and, and recount the whole uh, sordid story of how John lost his head? I have four thoughts on this. Um, firstly, uh, and you're, you're seeing your outline, it's, it's tying up a loose end. Uh, that is back in chapter one, it, it, um, it began, the gospel began with John the Baptist, but then he kind of just disappeared off the page with the words, after John was put in prison. And we kind of don't know why, why was he put in prison? What happened? Well, this explains, so it ties up a loose end. Secondly, as, as Mark poses this question, who is Jesus? By taking us back to John, well, we're reminded of, of what we were told earlier, that John is an Elijah figure, a messenger who was wearing camel's hair and, and camel 's hair in a belt, the messenger who came before the coming of the Lord. So we're reminded of what John tells us about Jesus, that he is the Lord, come in judgment. So perhaps Mark's taking us back to John to point us to Jesus. Thirdly, perhaps this functions as well, a contrast to the kingship of Jesus. I mean, here is the, the godless alternative to Jesus. Here is the rule of Herod, this immoral, adulterous, stupid, egotistical murderer. Is a, a, a godless alternative to Jesus. But I think, fourthly, Mark includes this, uh, this account of John's death to, to paint a shadow of what's to come later in the gospel. Spoiler alert, but if you know how the gospel finishes, you can see the parallels between John and Jesus. Both John and Jesus face opposition by a godless ruler. Herod in the case of John, Pilate in the case of Jesus. Both Herod and Pilate are presented um, as being pressured by, by hostile opponents who are nursing a grudge against their prisoner, so Herod. Herodias wants John dead. The Jewish leaders want Jesus dead. Both Herod and John can see the innocence of John and Jesus. They try to protect them, but in the end, they they give in to the pressure. They order their execution. And both accounts of John and Jesus include their burial by their disciples. So I think Mark is is saying John prepares the way for Jesus. His death is a pointer to what's to come. Yes, Jesus is the Lord. Come in judgment. But that judgment comes through Jesus himself dying a gruesome death at the hands of a spineless, immoral ruler under the influence of hostile opponents. And so I think we're meant to to see a shadow here of of what's coming for Jesus. Uh, That's something that I think it's reinforced over a couple of pages in Mark 9, verse 11. I think it'll come up on the screen. Mark 9, 11 says, And they asked him, Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. So John prepared the way for Jesus. And Mark presents a shadow of what's to come. But then what about understanding these loaves? Well, if we understand camel's hair and a belt, it's a good start. That is, if we, if we get Elijah, this John the Baptist, who's this Elijah type, who comes before the Lord comes, well, then our eyes start to open to see what's happening with the loaves. Let's look a little bit more closely at this, this incident. See there, verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered around jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught they re- they return and report to jesus what they've done and it, it's it's hectic there's people coming and going and they they don't even have a chance to eat verse 31 says and so jesus cares for them he says end of verse 31 come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he said, Can't you give me just five minutes peace? No, sorry. No, he didn't say that, did he? When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Again, if we, if we look at this through the, the lens of the Old Testament, it, it should ring some bells for us, if I can mix my metaphors of lenses and, and bells. The Old Testament, Moses, the great leader of God's people, he had he'd led Israel through the desert on the way to the Promised Land. And just before his death, he says... In Numbers twenty-seven verse sixteen, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and so Joshua was appointed after Moses. Joshua, whose name in is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus, and so here. Uh, Joshua was appointed as the leader and so here Jesus is the leader of God's people so that they are not like sheep without a shepherd. Furthermore, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel speaks against the leaders of Israel because they they were mistreating the people, the, the flocks under their cares. And so God promised that he himself will come and care for his people. Ezekiel 34 verse 14 says, God says, I will tend them in a good pasture. And, on, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. So God's promised that he will be the shepherd feeding the people on the mountains of Israel. And so Mark 6 verse 34, we read, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Many things he, he taught them. He grew late. People needed food. Jesus then miraculously feeds them such that verse, skip down to verse 42, says they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Jesus cares for his lost people. He provides bread from heaven for people in the wilderness. Who else does that? God. God gave gave manna, bread from heaven to the to the Israelites in the desert en route to the promised land. You can read about it in Exodus 16. So feeding five thousand men and women plus children it, with a few loaves and fish is, is not some neat party trick. I mean, they could have started a pretty cool catering business, right? But this is not just party tricks, this is a sign that God Himself has come. He has come to be the shepherd of his people, to be the, the saviour who leads them and provides for them en route to the promised land. If the disciples had understood that about the loaves, then when Jesus walks them on the water, they might have understood the significance of him doing that. As our Psalm 77 says, speaking of God uh, on the screen, your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is speaking of the Exodus where God saved his people through the sea. So who is this man with a path through the seas? He's not a ghost. He's not a magician doing neat party tricks. He is the Lord God himself come to bring salvation to his people. This is rich with imagery. He's come to lead them like a flock through the sea and onto the promised land of rest. If the disciples had understood, understood about the loaves, then when Jesus says, Take courage, it is I, or literally, I am, they would have made sense of it. I, mean, I am was the, the name that God used for himself when he appeared to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses said, Who will I say sent me? God says, Tell them, I am sent you. If they understood about the loaves, then when the wind died down, they would have recognised that God is the one who controls the wind and the waves. Who is Jesus? He's God. Come to save and care and lead and provide for his people. So do you understand About the loaves. That is, do you see who Jesus is? He's not just an interesting figure from history. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a character in children's storybooks. He's not just the one we call on in emergencies. He is the Lord God. Come to save you. Come to save me. Not everyone will see that. Not everyone will recognize him for who he is. Some, like Herod, will be so preoccupied with themselves and their own egos and pleasures, they'll suppress and deny the truth. Some will gladly chase after the the good things that God gives whilst rejecting the one who gives them. But what about you? Do you get it? Do you see who Jesus is? If you do, then as Jesus says, take courage, I am. God is standing in the boat. So do what he says. Jesus' message was, uh, was a pretty simple one, really. Or at least his message that he got his disciples to preach was simple. See there in verse 12, it says, They went out and preached that people should repent. There it is. There's the application. Uh, We like to be told what to do, right? Um, Whether or not we do it, that's another story. But we like preaching that just tells us what to do. Here's Jesus preaching class to his disciples. Go and tell people that they should repent. You repent and then go and tell others that they should repent also. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty good advice. I mean, it's come from Jesus, so of course it's good advice. So, have you repented? Are you continuing to repent? Do you see that Jesus is is God come to save and care for and and provide for and lead us? And that you and I haven't always acknowledged that. We've failed to live how God wants us to live. We've we've tried to to live at a distance from God. We've tried to put ourselves in the, the driver's seat, so to speak, in our lives. We need to Repent. We need to turn around from living our way and acknowledge Jesus for who he is. To ask him to to save us, to forgive us, to lead us, to, to help us, to follow him. Repentance is how we start in the Christian life and it's how we continue in the Christian life. So what do you make of Jesus? Will you recognize that he is... The one who has come, who has stepped into this broken world. He's come with compassion. He's come with power. He's our Saviour. He's our Provider. He's our Leader. He's our God. Will you hear and respond to His call to repent, to believe the good news? Nothing is more important in life than that. Let's pray. Our Lord God, our loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has come to save us, to care for us, to provide for us, to lead us. We are sorry that we've, we've turned against you, that we have tried to, to run our lives our own way without you. Our Father, we ask that you would forgive us. Jesus, save us, lead us, help us to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.